Listen up, it's the Speakeasy with Annie Madden and Carla Trelaw. Conversations in the margins. A comfortable space for uncomfortable topics. So here we are, uh-huh. end of another season. Well, bring on the break, actually. I'm, I'm a bit tired yeah. at this end of the yeah. year. Maybe, what a big one. Maybe this is our 50th show, yes, I think. We- I could have calculated. It's like, <laughs> it could be one show either side, but we're roughly on the 50th yeah. show. So this year... Reflections. What do you think about when you reflect back? Well, I mean, as you were just reminding me, we did so much work on the road and you know recording in weird uh, situations, but with such fantastic people doing enormous and really exciting, important work around the globe. Yeah, absolutely. So we did a conference uh, here in Australia, Mm -hmm. a major sort of hepatitis C viral hepatitis conference, and then also the harm reduction. 2019 or harm reduction 19 or whatever it was called uh, in Porto in yep. Portugal which yep. was amazing as it you was say amazing. as well but we started the year in the studio mm. with some sort of with local guests in this sort of traditional format and you know going right back to the beginning of the year talking to Tony Trimmingham of course amazing Tony Trimmingham who yep. for those who many of you will know him but obviously uh, for those who don't incredible advocate over decades now for families in the drug policy space. So it was really nice to sort of reflect back with him really a little bit. You know, sometimes I think you can get so kind of carried away pushing forward and doing the do (laughs) that there are things always to be sort of learnt from reflecting and just looking back. And and I remember with him we had an interesting conversation about the role of drug summits and things like that. yeah because yep. he'd been so instrumental in that first 1999 drug summit, but just asking him whether he thought, you know, that was a moment in time or whether Yeah, and what, what the legacy has been 20 years yeah. later. And we'd have to sort of reasonably say that we haven't seen a lot of progress. And no. I guess that sort of makes me think of one of our uh, other guests that we recorded earlier this year, which was with Mary Harrod mm-hmm. uh, from Newer and Jessica Murray from Dancewise, New South Wales, mm-hmm. which is part of Newer, but um, just on the issue of pill testing. I mean, that's been huge this year. Yeah. I feel like there's barely been <laughs> a week yes. that it hasn't been in the media or... Yes, and, the and you know, there, there's been... The coroner's inquest this year and, and just recently, I think it was 27 senior mm-hmm. professionals from one of the major inner city Sydney hospitals yep. signing a, a yep. letter in support of pill more testing. sensible policies, yep. including yep. pill testing. Exactly. And that was happening, I think, yesterday or the yeah. day before. And I heard the Premier again say, yes, we're looking at some recommendations from that report, but no, we're not looking at pill testing. I mean, whatever, but we're heading into another festival season it's already started uh, Mm. but we're heading into the thick of festival season Mm. again without pill testing yes thankfully for you know services like dancewise new south wales and dancewise victoria and you know pill testing australia and the loop and stuff we've got some great harm reduction services on the ground and information and education under resourced as they are but pill testing is a really important missing component and i just dread to think where the conversation that you and i may be having when we start up next year yeah Yeah. 
conversations, but let's jump off on conversations. So then we we had two great people also doing their own podcast, great finds this yeah. year, Emma Rafferty from yeah. APSU, yeah. running straight from the source. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. Association of Participating Service Users, I mm-hmm. think APSU stands for, they're based in Victoria, yeah. And that's a really, in, that was an interesting podcast and um, I haven't followed where that's gone. I don't know if you have, but mm. hopefully um, that's travelling along well. But uh, interesting, it's focused on people's treatment journeys really yeah, isn't it you yeah. know sort of all types of different journeys you know some people who are in that in the recovery kind of space and then others who are you know doing other taking other approaches yeah. to their treatment but getting their own voices and mm, their mm. own stories which I think is really important absolutely for policy development but just also for humanity mm-hmm. and a bit of compassion in a space that is often lacking that I think yeah yep. yeah and then we heard when we were on the road in Porto <laughs> we talked to the wonderful Garth Mullins from yeah. Vancouver about yeah. the crackdown pod also going from <laughs> strength to strength if you haven't listened to crackdown pod and you're interested in drug policy issues and the voice of mm. people who use drugs and activism give it a listen because it's uh it's got a really great sort of providence in terms of its aims and you know the team that's putting it together uh very much drug users on the ground in yep. Vancouver. They do these, you know, as as Garth would say, deep dives yeah. into particular issues and they've done some interesting investigations into the methadose issue. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, just even their first episode, just sort of introducing the team and how they sort of, you know, what's going on and how they came to be doing the podcast is... is it's a is really good listen, it that is. one if we do say so ourselves, <laughs> even our interview with, with Garth. Yeah, and then, then we stuck on yeah. the Canadian theme a I bit know. from there. It's, um, well, it was a real theme, not surprisingly, hey, yeah. at Harm Reduction 19 Conference, yep. the Canadian overdose crisis, as it's become to be known. With with Gillian Collar and Zoe yep. Dodd um, yep. on the front lines and, yep. you know, doing the civil yep. disobedience of setting up overdose prevention yeah. services and, yep. um, yeah. and overdose treatment Incredible, services. hey? I mean... They presented at the conference as well, but and if you ha- once again haven't had a listen, do make some time to go back and listen to some of those interviews because you know incredible frontline work. You know, setting up against the odds, as you say, in a civil disobedience mm. way, tents in parks. public parks. Yeah, you know, despite police, you know, attention and yep. and interventions and everything else and risk of arrest and there's you know setting up services, frontline services in those parks to literally save people's lives. And Zoe will talk about in the first hour of the you mm. know the day that five or six people mm. overdosing, sometimes mm. multiple overdoses at once that they're yep. dealing with, and and it's fentanyl. So it's yep. a very it's a you know different situation to your traditional heroin overdose. Yep. It's far more um, urgent and different aspects to it. So incredibly interesting to listen to and inspiring. You know, every time I you hear from the community voice from from the Canadian situation, it's just you can't help but feel like you know where is the action? Yeah. From government on this issue, it's like missing mm. in action. Mm-hmm. People on the ground with nothing, busting mm-hmm. their asses, twenty four, literally twenty four seven. You know they're there at early hours of the morning, mm. saving lives and doing everything they can while losing community members day yeah. after day after day. I mean they must be so exhausted. I mean the, one of the lessons I took away from that was just the constant 
state of bereavement and grief of loss. We've seen overdose numbers creep up or jump up perhaps in Australia and there's no conversation about it or very limited conversation and it just makes you think what do you have to do to to get attention? So, you know, people are talking about it in Canada but action on the back of that? that's right. As both Garth and Zoe and Gillian, they were all saying this is preventable. Mm. You know, this isn't something we can't prevent. We know exactly what we Mm. need to do here and it's about safe supply and securing safe supply and there are ways to do that if you want to do it. Going back 12 months, we spoke to Mark Tyndall at the INSU conference, also in Portugal, and and, he has a vision of how to do this. So he's a physician, a public Mm -hmm. health physician on the ground in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Well, now now he runs oh, the right. um, Centre for Disease Control right. in the whole of the province of British, right. Columbia. British Columbia. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, isn't it? You know, this is story. This story mm. has been unfolding for some time and that goes back mm. to your comment around Australia, I think. You know, this is an unfolding story here. It's been mm. unfolding for some time. And you speak to young people, young users and young people who are engaged in working with people who are using drugs. If you speak to those people in Australia... What I'm hearing is, yes, we are seeing an increase in yep. both heroin use and opioid use yep. generally, and we're seeing that in the stats. This story never ends. Yep. You know, drug patterns may shift and change, but things come around and we're facing pretty much the same situation we were in the 90s when we mm. declared this, you know, something we really had to take some urgent action on. So let's not wait let's for not the wait. deaths to start because it, it's a very scary prospect so also mm. at that conference, you know, we spoke to Graham Brown from yeah. Archers in La Trobe about the What Works and Why program, yeah. which I know you've been involved with in yeah. as a co-author on yeah. the reports and papers as well. Yeah, back in the, the early days of that project. I mm-hmm. mean, it's developed a lot since mm-hmm. I uh, my involvement finished. But um, really great work, hey? Just be really interested to hear your take on it, Carla, from a sort of more academic perspective. But I guess one of my takeaways you know, on a more sort of community, particularly in relation to the peer-based drug user organisations. But I guess this goes for kind of peer-based services generally that the project's looking at. And that is so nice to see a project that's seeking to understand the complexity of the work that's done, particularly in terms of influencing and advocating, you know, in that policy space. It's often so invisible. It's It's rarely funded. You know, it's the work you do... You do so much of that work in those organisations, but it's sort of on top of everything else and therefore really gets documented, all of that. So it's really nice. And to see how that all gets joined up with the program work and... You know, it gives a really yeah, full I mean, picture. It, he really mm. bit off something very large to yeah. chew there. So um, it is great to see that project producing mm. papers now and yeah. going forward and so on. Yeah. So. We also spoke with Andrew Scheiber from Cape yeah, Town. Yeah, no, I don't know Andrew. or didn't know yeah. Andrew before this. And you did that interview on your own. So, yes, yeah. sitting in a darkened room <laughs> on the floor. We're so accommodating to our guests. Oh, no. uh, and it was a really interesting example of a, a women's focused service okay. and, yeah. um, you know, lots of the issues that women you can imagine in that um, situation come with. So Um, it's Cape Town? Cape Town, South South Africa. Africa. So poverty, some sex work, Mm. drug use and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was sort of talking about the ways in which they've developed their service over time with the involvement of the the women service users to sort Mm. of meet their needs. And, and of course, HIV or hep C is sort of not really on the radar, HIV, TB Mm. and the conditions of poverty are the main 
focus mm. of their work. So it was great to get a very yeah. different perspective. Mm. I think that's one of the things I have really enjoyed about doing Speakeasy is, and you know, we, you and I are very privileged to be able to get to some of these conferences overseas and, and around the very country privileged. and mm. other events. And so it's great to be able to sort of bring a little bit of that to oh, life for yeah. people who don't get to go to these things but for mm. whom, you know, the information is really important and yep. maybe sends them off on a path to look at someone's work or model or yep. research yep, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And then we landed back home for World Hepatitis Day with Margaret Hellard and Tanya <laughs> Applegate who were yep. amongst a cast of not thousands but yeah. tens <laughs> <laughs> on this Lancet Commission work yeah. which kind of did like what's the state of knowledge around hep C globally. So, yeah. you know, it was – it's. 50 pages it's yeah. a huge piece yeah. but um really well covering different regions of the world and yep. different aspects of hep c yep. um and thinking about what's a global elimination agenda so there's you know nice summaries of that report if you're not yep. up for the whole 50 pages yeah. and we've got links from our website but yeah. great if you're working in that space Absolutely. and you sort of gives you a really good picture because i mean that's such an important area too <coughs> isn't it hepatitis c at the moment i mean all of the areas we talk about are important and we're sitting here you know talking yep. about world aids We'll talk about that shortly. But I think uh, hepatitis C and the whole push for elimination, you know, that's a huge body of work. Yeah. at the moment and ev- tentacles out everywhere and people doing all sorts of con- contributing to that agenda in all sorts of ways. So I think resources that bring mm. Mm. The, the knowledge together and, and the state of play are very yeah. critical to keeping that momentum going, I think. Huh? I mean, maybe just one more thing to say mm. on, on that um, discussion with Margaret and Tanya was their kind of commentary on how the knowledge is brought together or who mm. gets to be there to represent yeah. knowledge. I thought that was yeah. very interesting yeah. Yeah. about, you know, kind of it's a fallible human system. Yeah. We need to work to change that yeah. to ensure there's diversity in voices and diversity in knowledges that get Agreed. part of the, you know, official tick. Yeah, mm. yep, and who gets to decide what happens. And so while we're on the hep C theme, as you say, back home and we also did the viral hepatitis conference and spoke to a bunch of people there as well this time not so much on the yeah. floor but got to have a, a table hey. with some chairs <laughs> yay it's still pretty noisy in the background yeah there, it was a bit on the run we had people yeah. coming in and out of the room but um I really enjoyed speaking with first of all the women from the uh Cannes Hep C action team oh, we yeah. had a chat to them about the prize that yeah. they won the five thousand dollars and what they did with the loot great work there film they launched yep. and still doing really nice work mm-hmm. around the voice of people living with hep C and people who've done hep C treatment and all of that in regions of Australia, so in this case far north Queensland. But really um, that was great to hear what that money had really made a difference uh, winning that competition. While we're Mm. on the competition, we were also able to give out the 2019 Hepatitis C Excellence in Health Promotion (laughs) Award to newer for their Insiders News magazine for um, people in prisons in New South Wales. And if you haven't being able to see that that's a new edition huh so it's sort of an Mm. offshoot of the main users news magazine Mm. that many of you will know about but there's a new little publication called insiders news and it is you know really written by you know so leah mcleod at newer is the editor and she 
she accepted the award and uh, Leah works tirelessly on that publication I think to ensure that prisoners are really front and centre in its development it's their voice their their stories Mm. and and everything like I think one of the reasons that we we gave that the award really Carla was that you know it was really evident that every message every word in that little publication each time it comes out is poured over in terms of making sure it's absolutely relevant Mm. to that context Mm. and that they're not just sort of overlaying safe injecting messages for example from the community into the prison setting that they have not a hope in hell of implementing because that just sets people up to fail you know but these messages are tweaked and and I guess a bit of a shout out to the Department of Corrections in this case in New South Wales because they're a you know they're a partner in the yeah they're funding the this resource and are part of putting it together and approving it and they've come on the journey properly yeah so that's Good to see. And we had a, a highly commended to North Richmond Community Health for their work on freshies. Yeah. As smooth as you can be <laughs> with a great lot of humour yeah. in addressing one of the drivers of using sterile equipment is yeah. it's better and more enjoyable. That's right. And uh, so they had a, a great series of posters and, and had designed a carry-your-own BYO um, tin that was yeah. beautiful and um, attractive and appealing and sexy. Yeah. And and it was just really nice. We sort of thought it was a completely real departure from the general health promotion, harm reduction mm. resources out there. And in particular, because it did invoke the pleasure mm. idea, which you don't see very often. So we, we've got a page with those things on it. So we'll yeah. make sure that's linked we to link this episode too. too. Because who else did we talk to when we we're at the Royal Hepatitis oh. Elimination well, of course, two others, three others that come to mind, actually. First was Joanne Bryant, who did an amazing yes, presentation on did. counterpublics and yeah. lay experts and that concept. So if, you, if those concepts are not familiar to you or you're, they're of interest to you, take a listen to, to that interview because uh, Joanne had, um, yeah, people were really engaged on her presentation yeah. about how that those concepts might play out in hepatitis C health promotion. So that really. paper that Joanne was speaking to has now been published. So let's right. go back and put a link yeah, to it. Yeah, we will on, it on that episode. At that stage, yeah. wasn't it? And uh, James Ward and Chris Cunningham of yeah. course and they're just two kind mm. of to use the term, you know, deadly legends in the <laughs> First one. Nations yep. space. So Chris in terms of New Zealand and um, Maori health and James Ward in Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health and I mean in particular sexual health, STIs, hepatitis B for Chris, that's, you know, their their key areas of interest. And what I enjoyed, um, there's lots of things I enjoyed talking with those uh, two people who are just have are just tireless um, yep. advocates and workers and mm. researchers in this space and all over everything. It's amazing. But I really enjoyed that the fact that it was quite an uplifting conversation, I guess, and um, and that can sometimes be challenging in a space where sometimes things, often in fact, don't move in the ways they should or at the pace they should. They identified gaps and issues and things that still need to be done. But they also sort of outlined some really great mm. work and concepts that are happening mm. and and approaches to yep. delivering health to First Nations communities yep. um, in different ways. So. Congratulations to James. He's just announced he's moving from South Australia to the University of Queensland where he'll be Professor and Director of the Poche Centre for Indigenous oh, Health. Good one. Um, yeah, uh, nice one, James. Yeah. 
you know, really excellent. great yeah. recognition of yeah. his amazing work and yeah. impact. Yeah, mm. and maybe clo- a little bit closer to home for him in terms of Alice Springs. So yeah. yeah. We also spoke with Felicity. Louise Maher and yep. Felicity Sheaves from Southcourt Needle and Syringe Program in Penrith, Western Sydney. And yep. uh, they've always been just such a hotbed of creativity yep. and, again, fun and yep. irreverence. Yep. And yep. like we discussed in the episode, that's what's kept them going yeah. for 25 years I know. that they've been working And that's a nice, nice full circle, really, because we started off talking about someone like Tony Trimming who's been doing this for decades, <laughs> right. finishing off with... Felicity, mm. you know, and Louise also been working for day, And, you know, just as I said earlier, you know, that point of it's sometimes good to sort of reflect back a little bit on things that have been done because you can move so quickly sometimes that there's lots of good ideas yeah. that maybe, you know, you don't wholesale bring into the future, but, you you know, there's lots to learn and and the way that things have been built on over time that, you know, it's, it's a constant building on mm. and a conversation rather than sort of starting from scratch. Mm. And, yeah, so it was nice to sort of get some of their reflections on how things happen and, and, you know, really talking about, you know, working in a bureaucracy and a big bureaucracy. And you still know, being and able to make things to happen. Yeah, Not exactly. being paralysed by the yeah. 4,700 yeah. hoops you've got to jump through exactly. to get things done. Finding just, a way to get it done. Yeah, yeah. It's possible. And does that bring us to present day? It does. I don't think we've forgotten anyone, but, you know, it's been another huge year yeah. for Speakeasy. Uh, but it's a not over bit yet. While it to go. <laughs> yeah, so I, I wanted to, to talk about three things yeah. that have happened recently to me. So... Well, not just to me, but, you know, in the world. So um, a couple of weeks ago, UNSW had a screening of the documentary made by Uniting, Half a Million Steps. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, for those who haven't seen it, there there might be screenings in your local Mm. area. I'm not sure it's fully available on YouTube yet, but Mm. there's clips available on YouTube. It sort of starts with this woman in Dubbo in central New South Wales who has three children as a, as a single mum is really wanting to address her methamphetamine use. But she would have to go to Sydney to find appropriate care. So that's half a million steps between Dubbo and Sydney. So it's a it's a walking relay. Just really between it spells those, it yeah. out, doesn't it? Like, Visual what picture. What are we doing? Like yeah. this is such a waste of money yeah. and people's lives to yeah. not provide treatment. We know there's huge waiting lists, but not yeah. provide treatment in settings and towns and areas around our big yeah. brown and it's world. it's an ong, it's been a story that's been ongoing for so long, hasn't oh, it? Yeah. And you put that in the context of another big issue this year, which was the welfare drug testing mm-hmm. saga mm-hmm. that won't go away. What came up over and over again in response to that was, well, it's fine to say we'll refer people into treatment, but hello. What treatment? Yeah, where are the treatment yes. services? And this film just absolutely yeah. spells that out, doesn't it? Yeah, really happy to mm. use the positioning and voice Mm. of our institution Mm. here to push out these kinds of messages wherever and whenever we can. Did a lot of people come along to the screening? Yeah, we had about 130 people. great. And our our Deputy Vice-Chancellor, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion, uh, opened it and we had a nice panel afterwards, including someone who is featured in the film. Yep. And um, the New South Wales Association of Drug and Alcohol Services, NADA, Susie Hudson from there, myself, and Kerry Chant as Chief Health Officer of New South Wales. So So all the kind of key perspectives and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great. Exactly. Very nice. And a a second thing, last night I was at the AGM of Phoebe House and this, uh, I'm I'm a patron, I'm the patron of Phoebe House. I'm still (laughs) trying to work out exactly what that means, but it was such... statue to you, (laughs) 
<laughs> and a shrine, just like Aunt Lydia in the Testaments. That's how I want it to be. Thanks, anyone listening. It's a women's rehabilitation mm. service focusing mm. on um, opioid treatment program and including and, and focused on women with care of children under five. Which is, so. speaking of rare services. Well, it I mean, is the like only one instance. I understand in New South yeah. Wales. Yeah. And, and that's... You know, and has been for a long time. For forever. Yeah. yeah. This this mm-hmm. service started in nineteen eighty four yeah. and it was so fantastic to be there last night and you know, bear witness to the stories of the board mm. members, the mm. frontline workers and the residents. Mm. And some I think two of them had given birth while they've been on the program this year and their babies are still with them. That what, is such what a an enormous change that would have made. Unspoken absolute tragedy mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. traumatic. Thing about the treatment system and, and drug users' lives is yep. people having their children taken yep. from them. Yep. And, you know, often because they want to go into treatment and yep. can't find someone to look after their kids. And yep. I had a little moment so to important. speak last night and I said, you know, I'm a mother of two very smelly mm. teenage boys. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have imagined making the decision to leave them, particularly mm. when they're little, because they need me, but yeah. I need them, yeah. you know. Children are such a, a source yeah. of joy and strength for yeah. their parents yeah. and yeah. I mean, what a heartbreaking decision oh. to have to do that and, yeah. and so Too fantastic. many women face that, yeah. they? This service provides that opportunity and, yeah. it, and it's for women who have all sorts of arrangements of care of yeah. their child, so mm-hmm. they might, their child might not be living with them. Sure. But they have access to see their children in other ways. So, and part of that was, you know, I am so looking forward to a break. But yeah. that service runs all day, every day. The frontline workers will be there. The residents will be there doing the work mm. on their lives and their parenting and for their children. And I just wanted to acknowledge that mm. that just happens throughout. That work continues to happen, even yeah. though. I might be lazing around, not doing anything for a little while. Yeah, I agree. I think that's um, the story, isn't it, for a lot of frontline services at this time of year. You just sort of, you know, can be easy to forget that yeah. there's a whole lot of people who, who don't get to have a break. And, and this is their lives. So, exactly. But, mm. you know, Phoebe House, so with you. Uh, I remember working with them back when I was at Newer in, right. you know, the early ni- you know, mid-90s. So, uh, and they were a go-to service then. Yeah. Um, and I just sure want to say, say a special shout out to the woman who got up in front of the room of people yesterday, last night, and told her story. You know, yeah. She just did an enormous job when she was very nervous and, mm. and the power of her story, mm-hmm. um, just it, you know, just want to sit people on their asses and make them listen to these kinds of things and understand that the generational issues in her yeah. life, the cultural issues mm-hmm. in her life, the domestic violence issues in her yeah. life. She's done an amazing amount of work. Yeah. and um, She's you know, still standing before still you standing talking about... positive, looking to the future yeah. and wanting yeah. to go up every day mm. and do something yeah. better. So yeah. awesome. Yeah. Just awesome. inspiring and awesome. Yeah. And the third thing I want to say, World AIDS Day. Yeah. 1st of December. Um, and this week I was very lucky to be able to go to the parliamentary breakfast yes. in Canberra. And how was that affair? You've been a number of times, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> It's a, it's a strange one, that one, because you're there like, you know, god-awful time in the morning <laughs> in Parliament House so yeah. being served often a very kind of full-on yeah. uh, cooked breakfast or yeah. something. Where to start? It's run by Afeo and yeah. in collaboration with the Parliamentary Liaison Group, which is currently chaired by Tim Wilson and mm-hmm. Louise Pratt. So a bipartisan approach and, in fact, uh, all parties approached because the, the Greens were there as well with the mm-hmm. Speaker. The Foreign Minister spoke, the Shadow Foreign Minister, mm-hmm. the Health Minister, the Shadow 
uh, health minister. And then there was a few other speakers and then uh, a panel, which I had the opportunity to be on. But by that time, all the politicians have left the room. So it's a bit like, oh, we're talking to ourselves again. Mm. But Even when you're in Parliament House. I know. Yeah. Yeah. They've got busy days. Yeah, exactly. It's always the way, isn't Mm. it, in Parliament House? Yeah. But one of the things I uh, wanted to discussed was you know a lot of the focus was because the foreign minister was there it was about HIV in the region and not once were people who use drugs mentioned yeah I think it's really fallen off the agenda in some ways I think that has a little bit probably to do with the hep C thing in a way that's become the you know the issue and that's understandable you know it affects a lot more people um, who inject drugs or have injected drugs but you know I've always said you know the the issue of HIV with people who inject drugs is one of eternal vigilance I mean we just can never never drop our guard for a second on that no I mean hepatitis C is a really good example in a way because we didn't even know that was happening we didn't even know that virus existed until it you know it was in the 1990 it was identified as a distinct form of viral hepatitis but the epidemic had been developing for you know over a decade by that time yeah we don't know, you know, what might happen with HIV, what's next in terms of injecting related, you know, yeah. bloodborne viruses or whatever. So, you know, I think it's about that eternal vigilance yeah. around we know what works, we know needle and syringe programs work and we need to keep that on the agenda because if it slips down, you know, there's always other things yeah. to fund, always other priorities, yeah. other things to do. We just cannot mm. translate our understandings of stigma and discrimination, for example, no. from the Australian context to the high criminalisation mm-hmm. countries that flows down to street-level policing. Mm. You know, we've got paper after paper talking about the on-the-street bribes that people who inject drugs have to pay, which yep. reinforces yep. poverty. And yep. we just cannot yep. put an Australian framework around those things. Yeah, and that's right. where is the work being done in those yep. countries with more and more conservative regimes that mm. this stuff just might be silenced and never happen. Yeah, right. So I'm sorry, I... I took your point to be that it's kind of dropped off the agenda in Australia, but well, it yeah. wasn't mentioned in the international context no, either. either, which is just unbelievable, you know, on our doorstep, Indonesia, Malaysia, major issues, yeah, Cambodia, Thailand, you know, major issues around injecting related HIV epidemics and um, not yet addressed sufficiently. And as you say, you know, conservative regimes and lack of investment in harm reduction. So acknowledging World AIDS Day and yeah. uh, all the work that's yet to be done. Yeah, it's still to be done on that, mm. that issue that goes on. So speaking of stuff still to be done, yeah. 2020 speakeasy plans. I know. So we've, we've got a reveal. Got, we've got a we reveal. We should have said that at the top of the show, yeah, right? Yeah, right. We've got guests already planned yes. for the podcast to keep going. So mm-hmm. we're already hot on the track of, of mm-hmm. and some, you know, putting the fear, sort of going a bit wider, yep. going out into the sort of uh, social justice and yep. social issues field, yep. human, um, rights. Yep. human rights, all of that sort of stuff. But um, we've got an even bigger reveal. Oh, look, we should be able we, to work these the buttons sound, now. The sound effects. Hey? So, um, drum roll. We're going to be launching. Speaky, what we're calling speakeasy in practice. Yay! Yeah, ta-da. So, point being, when we started this, Carly, yeah, one yes. of our big aims was to, you know, look at, I guess in the university world it's often referred to as knowledge translation yes. or those kinds of ideas. 
Point being something about making research accessible or more accessible, because some research is already accessible, but more accessible, encouraging collaboration between sort of community and researchers to make even better research and research that's really meaningful for people and communities, you know, experiencing and living with the issues that are being researched. Um, I guess taking sort of sometimes research work that can be a little bit complex and, yep. and dense and, turn, you know, making that sort of, yeah, very, very able to be understood and, and utilised in frontline work. But so we've been, you know, pushing ahead with that with our speakeasy guests and yes. our interviews and combination of researchers and community people. Yes. But we've sort of realised that there's also a space for some capacity building and skills building. Yes. So we're going to be looking to start building on the speakeasy Brand. brand. We're going to start with some webinars Yep. in the new year. Free, open to yeah. everybody. And it'll be a journal club style, a paper, interesting paper. We'll find an interesting research paper on a topic that's got some nice meaty issues in it. People will be able to register, come along, have a discussion, get involved and, and ask questions and yeah, have about, an opinion. About the content of yeah. the research, but also how it's done. So yeah. building knowledge around the particular area but also building capacity to understand what research is and yep. and how it's done why it's done why yep. is it done in certain ways yep. so that particularly for community members mm. or people in NGOs if they want to be involved in research or have the opportunity mm. to there's a bit of uh, knowledge or skill yep. that they can bring um, yep. hopefully facilitated by these types of activities i have to say as someone who's worked in community settings organizations for a long time you know it was always really clear to me you're so busy and you're so under-resourced often you know there's really great research being done and you see mm. these new papers coming mm. out but often you either don't have time to look at them and or they're behind a paywall you can't even yes. get access to yes. them but even if you can get access to them, sometimes, you know, you just, depending on what your background has been and stuff, they can be easy, you know, more or less easy to access in terms of understanding them and putting them into practice. But I always was really aware that bringing that knowledge together with your knowledge of what happens on the ground is really powerful. Absolutely, you know, a good opportunity for people who are working in community settings to, you know, really get their teeth into reading research papers and taking from them what they need to do I mean, their work on the front line. Great so, point. That yep. that will be a part of every session is, yep. so what does this mean for you? Yeah, How exactly. can you use it? Yeah. What, what What's the translatability to your setting? Yeah, so, the so what question. And also yeah. I guess for researchers as well, our hope is to mm. sort of, you know, build more understandings of what it's like to work in the community mm. sector and the perspectives and to mm. make research better and, and richer for that Come on that. down. Yes. Do so yourself we'll be, a favour. We'll, <laughs> we'll be advertising the webinars yep. in the new year and yes. we'll also be looking down the line to be doing some face-to-face -face stuff out at conferences and things as well around building skills and capacity in this space. Keep an eye out for Speakeasy in Practice and uh, register and come along. It'll, as Carla says, it's free and a uh, chance to have discussion. We'll probably, I think we're also going to be making those downloadable and listenable. Yep. But, you know, the point being, if you come along to the webinar, you can be part of the conversation and interact um, rather than just listen. And, yeah, continuing with Speakeasy guests. And, yes. and those two things will segue together as well. We're going yep. to be sort of matching our guests with our webinar topics as we go along and yep. and that sort of thing so 
lots of exciting things, but first I need to go and have Have a sleep. Have a little lie down. (laughs) (laughs) Not just yet, though. Uh, Good meeting to go to. Yeah, I do. (laughs) All right. So we're out. We're out for 2019. Um, have Thanks a great everybody. new year, everyone, and holidays if you're having a break, and all more power to your elbow if you're not. <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll see you in the 2020s. Aha! Uh-huh. Now I've got to work out how to turn this thing off. For more information about this podcast. Our guests and upcoming episodes head to httpcsrh.arts.unsw.edu.au.